feel like I've already gotten my gift. I'm going to tell you, I never... I love watching my kids worship the Lord, and i uh, just very thankful Dad this morning. So, thank you, kids. Psalm 1, you want to go ahead and go there in the Bible and, and hold your spot, because we're going to look at some other scriptures, but that's uh, where our text is this morning, and I realize this is a text that's been visited probably many times. Um, I, I know we've had some guest speakers that have filled the pulpit and taught on this, and uh, but as I thought about the Father's Day message and wanted to do something specific uh, towards uh, this subject, uh, this was the passage that uh, was on my heart. It was a short week in the way of study prep. Um, that also had a, a, an effect in, in this as well. Uh, you'll note Psalm 1 is a very short passage. Don't get your hopes up. That doesn't mean we're getting out early, but maybe we will. I don't know. We'll see. But it was a tough week this week, and I, I greatly appreciate all the prayers for my family. As you know, my uncle David Harvey passed away. Uh, we had actually gotten a call last Sunday when we got home from church. Uh, during lunch, Dr. Mel Winstead and his family were on their way to the beach for vacation. They stopped in, and we were feeding them, and the phone rang, and it was my Aunt Sandra. And uh, she was very emotional, very upset, and... Uh, she said that uh, my Uncle David was uh, passing and they felt like he was on the kind of the last stage. If I wanted to see him, I needed to come. And she was asking, would I come and still talk to him? Because they were still uncertain where he was spiritually. And I had spoken, many of you know, we've been praying for some time. I'd spoken to him on two other previous occasions and presented the gospel. The first time he said he wasn't ready. The next time he said he was good. Only God knows ultimately the heart. Uh, he has two believing brothers who came to know Christ at an, uh, later in life. Uh, one was saved in 1999 and he was probably in his 40s when he came to know Christ. The other one came to know the Lord in early 2000 and there again also probably in his 40s. I pray David got his heart right before he stepped into eternity. But one of the things that really struck me as I tried to minister to the family this week is this subject of two paths. I was sharing with the deacons this morning, sharing with Nate when I got back this week. You know, there's a way that seems right to man. But the end of that path is destruction. It's death. And what me and my family, I think, witnessed this week was sin run amok. It grieved my heart to see a lot of my family whose lives, because of choices they have made, have led them down a path of consequences. And as we sat there at their place, there was a lot of discouragement, a lot of hopelessness. Kids raised without parents, 
grandkids being raised by grandparents, second, third marriages, drug addiction, alcohol, drama, drama upon drama. It's a sad scene. It truly was. I love my family. But it was a reminder of the importance of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because only Christ can change and transform a life. And look, I was on that other path. And so were you before you knew Christ. And I, 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 I kind of shared the example in the picture because it runs the gamut. Because in one sense, I'm looking over here at, at aunts and uncles who, who are poverty-stricken. I'm talking house that you walk in, a, a trailer that was older than I am. I remember my aunt and uncle growing up in and, and knit holes in the floor and plywood over it just to, so you don't fall through. I mean, it, it, it was a, a scene that just shows the results of choices. But on the other side, I've got an uncle who's, who's, who's very wealthy and, and blessed seemingly with a successful business in the heart of Atlanta and lives in a huge house and drives a brand new Escalade and, and looks just on the outside like he's got it together. But worse off than those who are poverty-stricken. You see, the world's philosophy has a way of fooling you. Lost is lost. Whether you've got a lot in the way of material things or you've got a little in the way of material things, if you don't have Christ, your path is the same. You're on the same road. And broad is the way that leads to death. Narrow is the path that leads to life. And there's few that find it. Apart from Christ, my family, your family, there's no hope. And sin run amok is the same for everyone. The end of that path is death and destruction. So I want to encourage us this morning because I will say in the midst of the the, the discouragement this week. There was some bright hope. There was some, some things that uh, we saw that were encouraging and lifting to our spirits. The, the two brothers I spoke of, their families were, were truly a bright spot in the midst of all that was going on, in the midst of the chaos, and there was a lot of chaos this week. My mom's dog died. So that added more drama to the situation. I was supposed to be going to the funeral home, and my wife and I had to instead in our only set of clothes that we brought because we weren't planning to stay all night. We were just going to visit my Uncle David and we got the call on the drive that he died. So the next day when the dog's dead, we're in our only other set of clothes burying a dog for half a day in the hot sweat, eat up with chiggers, mosquito bites, and breaking post hole dickers. That's my day. But in the midst of all that, we found sweet fellowship with other believers. And it truly was. There was an encouragement to know that we weren't the only ones praying for my uncle. 
We weren't the only ones praying for the kids and the grandkids and the rest of the family. We weren't the only ones giving representation at that time of grieving. The body of Christ was there. And I'm thankful for this. I had the opportunity at the funeral home because my aunt was a little discouraged with the lack of support from her church. I've heard this one before. To encourage her to put her eyes on Christ who never fell her, never let her down. And uh, told her not to uh, give up on that church family. They, they hadn't give up on her. And uh, praise the Lord that afternoon. Uh, my uncle's brother said that Guess who showed up at the house with food? Her church. So, guys, it's important that we as a family minister collectively. It doesn't just rest on my shoulders, Nate's shoulders, but collectively. And so, I want to encourage us today uh, that uh, we are on a path. And I pray that the path you're walking is the narrow path. So with that said, let's talk about today. Let's talk about Father's Day. And I specifically, ladies, I'm sorry, but today I want to specifically target the men. I want to talk specifically to the men. But before I do, I feel like I need to lighten the mood a little bit in here. So I'm going to give you the top ten things you'll never hear a dad say. Top ten. Ten things you'll never hear a dad say. Number ten. I should have given you a slide presentation on this one, but anyway. Number ten. Well, how about that? <laughs> I'm lost. Looks like we're going to have to stop and ask for directions. <laughs> yeah, never hear a dad say that. Number nine. You know, Pumpkin, now that you're uh, 13, you know, you'll be ready for unchaperoned car dates. Won't that be fun? Never hear dad say that. Number eight, I noticed that all your friends have a certain hostile attitude. I like that. You never hear a dad say, number seven, here's a credit card and the keys to my car. Go crazy. <laughs> never going to hear a dad say, number six, what do you mean you want to play football? Figure skating's not good enough for you, son? <laughs> You'll never hear a dad say, your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You know, you might want to consider throwing a party. <laughs> Number four, you'll never hear a dad say, well, I don't know what's wrong with your car. Probably one of those doohickey thingies, you know, that makes it kind of run or something. Uh, just have it towed to a mechanic and pay whatever he asks. Never hear dad say that. Number three, you'll never hear dad say, my son, no, no son of mine, okay, no son of mine is going to live under this roof without an earring. Now quit your belly aching and let's go to the mall. <laughs> you never hear dad say that. Number two, you'll never hear dad say, what do you want to go and get a job for? I make plenty of money for you to spend. And the number one thing you'll, you'll oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I make plenty of money for you to spend. But the number one thing you'll never hear a dad say, this is number one, can I get a drum roll, son? All right, the number one thing you'll never hear a dad say, what do I want for Father's Day? 
Ah, uh, don't worry about that, it's no big deal. In fact, a, a small boy's definition of Father's Day, he said, it's just like Mother's Day, only you don't have to spend so much. <laughs> so maybe, maybe that's so, but I don't know, not in my house. <laughs> yeah, we, Dad's got to get a big red steak today. Yeah, anyway. Growing up, growing up, maybe some of you guys, you remember growing up. I don't know for you, but for me, growing up, there was something about sports. I love sports. Now, maybe some of you did, some of you didn't, that's okay. Uh, uh, but th there was something about growing up and playing sports that was just, man, you look forward to hitting the ball field. You, you, you loved taking the, uh, the court. Now, you hated the practices and the workouts and the intensity. And the coach in my day used to actually could yell in your face. Sometimes they could even grab you up by the collar and put you against the wall. And that was just good coaching. You know, that's just the way it was. You can't do that now. You get a lawsuit. Um, but hunting, fishing... Those were things that I remember. Some of you may remember John Wayne growing up. And, and so as a kid, you looked up to John Wayne. You know, man, he, you know this, is, this is a man's man. This is the kind of guy you want to be. You know, we get these ideas instilled into us as we grow. For me, it was Fonz. I wanted to be like the Fonz. Hey. I mean, I'm sorry. I, that's just, I loved happy days. And so, in fact, I remember being in kindergarten. And I remember I, would, I taught all the girls that when I snap my fingers, I want y'all to come. Isn't that terrible? And they actually did. <laughs> I can't, now I tried at the house and they say, get up and get it yourself. Anyway, I'm just. <laughs> That's not true. I don't really do. But anyway, yeah, y'all know that. <laughs> but superheroes too. Marvel Comics, some of y'all remember that. I'm sorry, I want to go back to that. Yeah, some of you remember like the Marvel Comics or the DC Comics and all that stuff's kind of getting a resurgence again. And so that was big too for me as a kid. I loved the superheroes. And I think for, for a little boy too, there's something about that that makes you want to, you know, you, you, you play that. You want to be a superhero. You want to be, you know, uh, that kind of guy. You want to be the hero at the end of the day. Why is that, man? Why is that? I think we are wired in such a way. I think at, at the heart of man, there is this idea of just this go get them kind of attitude. Well, we find this, and I know I told you to hold in Psalm 1, but I want you to hear this story found in Joshua 14. So if you want to turn there, you can. I got it up on the screen here. In fact, I think I'll just step down here and read it. Joshua 14, 1 through 14. These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. For the nine tribes and the half-tribe for Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property. Verse 5. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, 
the son of Jephunneh, the Kenesite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Verse 10. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old, and yet I'm as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then. So now is my strength for war both for going out and coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Now, I love that passage. That's a man's man's passage right there. Think about that. There's so much captured in that context that to me speaks to not only a man's man, but most importantly, a man of God. Let me, let me read a quote to you. Um, I think this is, this is part of our problem. Men, sometimes I think we in the church, we do a disservice Instead of cultivating that God-given internal hardwiring motivation, I think we feel like somehow it's squelched. Listen to this quote from a pastor. He says this, Man, I want you to know that I believe you are the single greatest untapped resource for the kingdom of God today. I say untapped because for the most part, our influence, passion, resources, skills, time, and efforts simply aren't being used for kingdom work today. We've chosen to invest ourselves in other ways and in other places. Now think about it for a second, man. I'll continue reading. Isn't that true? Where's your passion? Where's your heart? Where's your motivation? Is it 
holy unto the Lord's work? Is it holy unto the promises of God? Is it in the motivation, the, the furtherance, the perpetuating of the kingdom of God? Or is it focused on your kingdom? My kingdom? What is at the heart of your motivation? What is a passion? The church is a strange place for many of us men. A place where we feel like we don't belong. I know what I'm talking about because I used to feel the same way. When I first became a follower of Jesus, just before heading off to college and began going to church, I felt like I stood out like a sore thumb. I was uncomfortable. Everyone hugged each other, sang songs, spoke a language that I didn't recognize. I couldn't sing a lick, and I didn't speak their Christianese. Therefore, I felt so out of place. Another thing that made me feel uncomfortable was that it seemed like there were so few people who were like me. I grew up playing sports and hanging out with guys like me. At church, I saw lots of older people, women and little kids, but I didn't see hardly anyone who I thought was like me. The church was an unfamiliar place to me. I went because I was told that I was supposed to go, but my passion was reserved for the athletic field. I was young, 18, a freshman in college at the time, but the church didn't appeal to me like sports did back then. On the field, I was challenged. My coaches demanded everything of my teammates and me. No price was too great to pay. Sacrifices were celebrated. They were expected. The message I heard from my coaches was so different from the messages I heard from the preacher. Guys, does any of this ring a bell for you? Maybe you, like me, felt most alive on the athletic field while you were growing up. You may be too old to play on a team now, but you still like the challenge. Maybe trying to hit a, the perfect golf shot, trying to steal second base on a softball field. I don't think they allow that in our league, but maybe they should. No, probably not, because this old man would be trying it. Driving to the basket against guys half your age. Toughing it out in a tree stand in sub-freezing weather waiting for a big buck to come into range. Or maybe you just get juice following your favorite team. Memories of how you used to be are stirred as you live vicariously through other young guys still in their prime. Maybe sports aren't your thing. Your adrenaline starts pumping by busting your tail to make a deal in the arena of business. You bust your tail to work hard, to finish a good day's work. You're determined to make your first million or, or to retire by the time you're 40 or to own your own business. or Once you seal the deal, your head is on a swivel looking for the next bigger deal. I believe with all my heart that men are looking for a challenge. We're looking for something that stirs our soul, ignites our passion, and makes us feel alive. We want to feel like we've still got it. We can still do it. We want a challenge that causes adrenaline to rush through our veins, no matter how old we are. My case. Man, I can understand this guy. I relate to this guy. 
there is something hardwired within us, men. We're doers. We're leaders. We're go-getters. That's the way God designed us. Now the curse has corrupted that, no doubt. And that's why this passage that we've looked at here, and we're going to look at in just a second, the heart of our text, why it's so important that we be men of God. Men of God. And so I want to challenge you, men. I want to challenge you today. Think about what path you're on. Think about how God has made you. I want to challenge you to be a man, a man of God. So, let's take a look. Psalm 1, if you're there. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer or the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in His law, He meditates day and night. He should be like a tree. A tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever He does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The blessed man. The psalmist here in Psalm 1, and by the way, interesting thought here, when this was compiled and they put together these books, this actually was was not the first one written. It was probably like the 90th one written. But when it was being put together in the psaltery of songs, and because you know this was, this was a set to music. It was a, a song of worship, but it was also as we sing songs, as was mentioned earlier, we should meditate upon the truths of the songs we're singing. And so Psalm 1 is put here almost like a gatekeeper because as you enter into the Psalms to read... This is instruction. Be mindful of the two paths that are set before you. Because I think the psalmist probably knew in the midst of those worshiping God, there were those who were on the other path. There were those who stood at the uh, crossroads and was getting ready to choose. You know, my uncle that passed away, David, he was, he was a fence. He did fencing. He knew fencing all his life. And so in the sermon I, I talked about at the funeral, that I didn't know a lot about fencing. My brother worked with my uncle for a while and learned the fencing business. I didn't know anything about fencing, but I knew this. For 25 years of my life, I sat on the fence. And I'm sure there are some here, just like there are some there, just like I was. There are many of you who are sitting on the fence. You've got one foot in the world, one foot in the church. Uh, you, maybe you're kind of wrestling with, you're playing games with God. It's time to choose one side or the other. It's time to get off the fence and, and select the path 
and you need to pursue it. You need to pursue it with passion. The blessed man, and that's what's set forth here in the first psalm, and that's why I think it's an important gatekeeper as we move into the psalms, is because you're going to see here choices set before us. Now notice, first off, we see the character of the blessed man. And, and the psalmist begins with a, a negative point of view. He describes this with a negative point of view. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You see sort of a digression there, don't you? Because here's what happens when you choose a path. When you choose a path, at first you're walking. And the longer that path goes, you kind of begin to wear and you get tired and you may stand. But you usually find yourself eventually sitting. You see, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end is destruction. When you get to the point to where you're so far down that path that you're worn and you're tired and you sit, a lot of times it's tough to find your way back to where you knew you needed to be. You want to be a blessed man? Dad, fathers, you want to be the example for our children that we need to be? Well, we need to choose the right path. Because set before us is the path of the wicked man or the blessed man. So, the character of this man is one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. When, when you need help in, in making a decision, who do you listen to? Who do you seek advice from? I can assure you, you can get counsel from a number of sources that will agree with what you want to hear. In fact, the scripture warns us that in latter days, people will set up for themselves teachers tickling their ears because they want to hear what they want to hear. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Proverbs. Where are you getting your counsel? Are you in the path of the sinner? Men? Where are you at in the road of life? You find yourself scoffing? Maybe you don't scoff, you just laugh at those who are scoffing. Because you don't want to be outed as a Christian. Do you find yourself laughing at the hollow, empty jokes? The blessed man doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the path of the sinner, nor does he sit in the seat of the scornful. Now, it's also described from a positive perspective. Notice what verse 2 says. And this is the heart of the passage. The blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. What's your delight? Let me give you a little Hebrew lesson. This word here, 
um, delight is the Hebrew word hafetz. Now let me say it properly. Hafetz. God bless you. The basic meaning is to feel great favor towards something. Desire. Or to feel emotional delight. Now the word's used in many ways throughout Scripture. But here we see it described as the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. Now, if you're taking notes, I'm not going to have you turn here, but if you want to look up some passages later at home, Psalm 48, Psalm 119, 47, and 48, Jeremiah 15, 16. Psalm 48, 119, uh, 47, 48, Jeremiah 15, 16. Good references in the delighting of the law of the Lord, the word of God. And notice what else the blessed man does. In God's law, he meditates day and night. Day and night. Let me give you some other examples. Check this out. In Psalm 119, you'll see uh, other passages. Psalm 119, verse 24. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Thirty-five, direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. I will walk about in freedom. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to show you if I can get back to it. You can walk about in freedom... Because of the word of God. Notice, if you would. Because I've sought your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings. And will not be put to shame. For I delight in your commands because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and I meditate on your decrees. Question, dad, men, ladies, are you delighting? Are you delighting in the word beyond Sunday? Sometimes I even question if we're delighting in it on Sunday. What stole your vigor? What stole your passion? Can I tell you it's fool's gold? The carrot we chase is a lie? Nate kind of joked, he said, What's your text this week, Pastor? Is it going to be, I'm a, um, you're of your father the devil? <laughs> Pastors can make those jokes. But I said, you know, it's interesting because in a, in a, in a way it actually is. We look at the two paths... The wicked and the blessed, Jesus himself said, hey, you're of your father, the devil. Guys, if you're on the path that leads to destruction, you're not doing the things that your father Abraham did, Jesus, to quote him. If you were of your father Abraham, you would have done the works he did, right? If you say you are a follower of Jesus Christ and we are on that path, then our works should be evident 
Blessed is that man. We need to do self-examination. If we're not delighting in the things of God, if you do not delight yourself in truly meditating day and night, guys, I hope and I pray you're listening to the Word of God throughout the week. I hope you're, you're, you're spending some time in the Word of God, reading and meditating and thinking on it. I hope you're looking for teachable moments throughout your week with your children to bring in scriptural principles and truth. By the way, if you're missing Sunday school in here, you need to come because you're getting some good biblical worldview teaching. Pastor Nate's laying it out. Delight. And if you're having a hard time delighting, can I encourage you to do something? Pray. Pray and ask God to give you a joy. Ask God to give you a new passion for the things of God. Ask God to help you to fall so in love with Him and His Word that you delight, that you want to think about it, you want to talk about it, you want to share it with your friends and your family. God's looking for some Caleb's. who wholly trust and believe the Word of God. So, Psalm 1. His path, notice this, verse 3, leads to prosperity. Like a tree planted by rivers of water. Now think about this. Tree doesn't plant itself, right? Tree is planted. You've been born again. You are part of the family of God. God has given you some roots and He's given you a source, the living streams of water. That's why this tree is nourished. That's how you're nourished. That's how you are able to prosper when you abide as a branch in the vine. Your life-giving source is always there, providing. Brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf shall never wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. Now that doesn't mean you don't have hard times. It doesn't mean you don't have seasons. But I'm telling you, when you're anchored deep in the things of God, this is the result. So, what else? Well, let's take a look at the wicked man. The wicked man's not like the righteous, verse 4. The ungodly are not so. Literally, not so, are the ungodly. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Now, you know chaff, they used to sift and they throw this chaff up in the air so that the wind would catch it and blow it away. So only that which was of substance stayed. Look at it, I should have been a, you know, anyway, right? It's unstable. It's not like the tree. The tree is planted deep with roots. It's immovable. I mean, it's not going anywhere. But the chaff... And there are so many people that are tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine and they're blown off course because of the delights of the world. The wicked man. Their path leads to destruction. Verse 5. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Now interesting contrast here. When you think of this. The sinner shall not stand in the congregation of the righteous. In the end, the wicked man's destination 
is not the same as the blessed man. Guys, keep an eternal perspective. Keep an eternal perspective on whatever your pursuits are, whatever you're going after, be it career, be it money, be it whatever. What are you chasing? What is your delight? What is fulfilling you? You better make sure you have eyes on eternity in the midst of it. Christ-centered, God-centered. So, that's the wicked man. Final contrast. Look in verse 6. You see the final contrast between the two paths, the blessed man and the wicked man. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. You say, well, he knows the way of everybody. He knows all things. Of course, yes. But again, in the idea here and the knowing is your protection, your hedge. He directs your step. When you are surrendered to the will of God, when you're willing to do His bidding, not your own, when your desire is to build His kingdom, not your own, He knows the way of the righteous. And He'll lead you in the way. The way of the ungodly shall perish. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his own soul? You know, there's two paths before us. There's the path of the blessed man and there's the path of the wicked man. And I don't pretend to to know where you are and who you are and where you stand in the things of God. But I know this. There's one of two, one of two trails that you're going to choose to walk down in life. By God's grace... I pray that we are a tree planted by the river of water. Dad, you were designed with purpose. Can I encourage you that the church is part of that purpose? part of God's plan. This church needs some godly men. This church needs some men who, really, who are willing to work for the kingdom of God. Who are willing to make at the center of their life Christ and His kingdom. And you talk about fulfillment in a challenge... You talk about going after something with zeal, with purpose, that's fulfilling and satisfying. I didn't understand that until I became a follower of Jesus Christ. Choose that path. Dad.
Which path are you on? Which path are you on? This church needs some Caleb's, some blessed men, some manly men for Jesus, some men like the Apostle Paul who said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And let me remind you, you're never too old to take what God has promised you. You're never too old. You're never too young to start. For Father's Day, men, you've been challenged. Let's be men who follow the path that leads to victory. Let's walk in the promise that God has given us. Let's be men of the cross. Let's be followers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are a good, good father. That is who you are. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word of truth. Thank you for, Lord, giving us the victory in Christ. Help us to be Romans 12, 1 and 2. Help us to be surrendered. Help us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Lord, I, I, I pray specifically today for the men of this church. Your kingdom work still goes on. And we're enlisted. And as good soldiers, we should not be entangled with the affairs of the world. Lord, help us to be good soldiers. Help us to be followers of Christ. Help us to keep our eyes on eternity. Help us to choose the path of the blessed man. And that means some of us got to get back on the trail. Some of us have taken a detour. Lord, we got to shake that sand off our shoes. We need to move on. We need to get away from the things that are pulling us down and get focused again into the plan that you have laid out before us. Help us not shrink back as we've been learning about that in Hebrews, that we would not fall in disbelief, but that we would trust in the promises. Lord, let this church be full of men who have zeal, who believe you. When everything else around us says, no, you can't. Help us to know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Strengthen us today, Lord. Strengthen us to continue to fight the good fight of faith. Help us to run this race and finish well. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of eternal life that we might be righteous men. Apart from the cross, we are not. But with the grace and gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, we are made new. Thank you for his righteousness that clothes us. Thank you for your word that leads us. May we follow faithfully to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.